0: Former Navy Chaplain Gordon James Klingenschmidt took a stand to defend religious freedom by daring to pray publicly in Jesus' name. Now he helps you by reporting the news, discerning the spirits, and praying the scriptures. Would you pray with us? Here's Dr. Chaps.
1: Welcome back. Dr. Chaps here, joined by Warren Cole-Smith, who is a prolific author and vice president at the Colson Center. Warren, welcome to the program. Well, it's great to be with you. Thank you so much. So you're a frequent contributor to World Magazine. Uh, You have a blog there, but. Uh, your prime mission these days is at the Colson Center
2: for Christian Worldview. What is that? Well, the Colson Center was founded by Chuck Colson, and uh, the mission is to inform, equip, and unite the body of Christ. We do that primarily through a Breakpoint Radio pro- commentary, which is also now a podcast in this modern world. About 1,300 radio stations. We have a website, breakpoint.org, and we have a Colson Fellows Program, which, is a, which allows people to do a really deep dive into Christian worldview. It's a year-long program that involves uh, residents a lot of uh, online interaction through webinars, and reading about 15 books. It's sort of the capstone experience of the Colson Center.
1: So Chuck Colson, an American hero, served in the Nixon administration, passed away a few years back, but uh, perhaps best known as the founder of Prison Fellowship, Uh, and he talked a lot about uh, re-educating or rehabilitating people by bringing them to a Christian worldview. We hear that word thrown along about worldview. What, what does that mean?
2: Well, a Christian worldview is really just God's understanding of the world, God's view of the world. My mentor, Joel Bells, uh, the founder of World Magazine, used to say it's a, you've heard of a bird's eye view? What about a God's eye view of the world? It is understanding the world through a biblical lens, understanding reality as God defines reality. And you're quite right that uh, Chuck Colson is known for Prison Fellowship, but one of the things that he learned uh, as his, at his work at Prison Fellowship is that uh, what he was seeing in the prisons was a symptom. Uh, not uh, the cause of many of the problems in our culture that he needed to go upstream from that prison system and realized, he realized that what he was seeing in the prisons, what the brokenness that we see in the world, is uh, really the, the result of flawed ideas of, of brokenness in the world, and that by uh, teaching a Christian worldview by trying to promote a Christian worldview both in the church and in the culture generally, that um, we can move upstream from some of the symptoms of that brokenness that we see in prisons or. In broken families or whatever, and get closer to the root cause of those problems.
1: And you've written uh, over 10 books that I saw on Amazon, but your your recent two nonfiction books, one of them had to do with the media and one of them had to do with... um, Uh, this idea of bringing people into
2: wholeness. What are the titles again? Well, Prodigal Press is uh, the media book that you're talking about, uh, Confronting the Anti-Christian Bias of the American News Media is the subtitle of that book. Marvin Olasky wrote that book back in the 1980s. Marvin Olasky is the editor-in-chief of World Magazine, a mentor of mine, someone I've worked with for many years. And when that book came on its 25th anniversary, a publisher came to Marvin and said, you know, it really needs a revision. In 1988, when that book was first written, cable news was brand new. There was really no meaningful internet. Uh, just so much has changed. Uh, Marvin asked if I would uh, collaborate with him on that rewrite. We've got a couple of new chapters, uh, pretty serious rewrites of almost every chapter.
1: When you say the prodigal press, I'm thinking fake news. Yeah. You know, the the secular
2: media that wants to throw Christians under the bus. Yeah. Well, th- th- that's a part of it. The, the reason Marvin chose the word prodigal press, uh, it was really intentional. If you remember the story of the prodigal son. Uh, The father was faithful. It was the son that was unfaithful. He went away and he ultimately came back. Uh, One of the things that we document in Prodigal Press is the idea that there were many, many Christian journalists in the 17 and 1800s in this country and that um, the press uh, often had a Biblical worldview, but over a very long period of time, and we document some of the reasons why this happened, the press became prodigal. It departed from the truth of Scripture. And so what we think uh, is is important now is for us to confront um, what's wrong with the mainstream media and also hold up some examples for how uh, we can restore uh, media to uh, a place where it considers God's truth in its pursuit of journalistic truth.
1: Do you hear that, everybody? We need need more Christian media, more Christian journalists. That's what we're trying to do here at PIJN News. We pray the news and we we quote the scriptures. Uh, Talk about your other book.
2: Well, Restoring All Things is a book that I co-wrote with John Stone Street, who is now the president of the Colson Center. And one of the things that we wanted to do in that book was to tell positive stories of Christians doing great work. Christians too often are known only by what we are against and not by what we are for. And yet, if you look at the pro-life movement, for example, and there are thousands of pregnancy care centers around the country each one of them caring for scores or hundreds or in some cases thousands of women and children and um, that has changed the tide in the way america thinks about the life issue Uh, america is now more pro-life today than it has been at any time in the last quarter century. And I think that that is largely, or at least in part, uh, because of the, of the Pregnancy Care Center movement. It's an army of compassion out there. And so we ask the question, is this going on in other areas? For example, in the arts, we profile Mako Fujimura, who is a, a beautiful artist. And he, he talks um, clearly and in a biblical way about how Christians should be in the arts. Kent Twitchell, who is a mural ar- artist in Los Angeles. Rosaria Butterfield. And And uh, Christopher Yuan, ex-gay, one a man and one a woman, who um, have written great books and have powerful testimonies about coming out of that lifestyle. So telling positive stories about how God truly redeems, restores, and transforms people, we think is a powerful tool for um, uh, proclaiming the kingdom of God and proclaiming the gospel. And, the, and especially in this day and age, as you well know, as a, as a you know, person who's involved in the media, storytelling has such a powerful impact. The left is doing it to great effect. We think that Christians and conservatives need to be doing it to greater effect as well.
1: Uh, you told me off camera that, uh, maybe you're quoting Jim DeMitt, who said, uh, democrats are giving away free candy but republicans are trying to sell vegetables that's right and so so the idea there is that uh, we don't do well as conservatives in storytelling and in in grabbing the emotion. Instead, we're dishing out facts and facts and facts. But your book, Restoring All Things, tells a lot of good stories.
2: Well, that's right. If we've got history, logic, faith. We've got history, logic, data, and reason on our side. But too often, we'll issue white papers or we'll uh, write a theological tome rather than tell a story. If you look at who some of the great apologists were uh, of the last century, people who really propagated successfully and effectively a Christian worldview, there are people like C.S. Lewis, who was also a great storyteller. There are people like Lee Strobel whose book The Case for Christ was really the story of his investigation. It's like an adventure story. It's like a mystery in a lot of ways if you read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel. Storytelling is a powerful tool. Mark 4.34 says Jesus did not speak to them except in parables, except in stories. So even Jesus understood, uh, and I think we should therefore understand, that storytelling is a powerful tool in our arsenal. And by the way, we got the best story. We've got God, God's own story that we can proclaim to the world.
1: I think you're right. Where can people find Restoring All Things or The Prodigal Press or any other books you've written?
2: Well, you mentioned Amazon. They're all on Amazon. They're all on barnesandnoble.com. And uh, some of the books are also at the Colson Center website, uh, and that's breakpoint.org. And your podcast on World Magazine? Yeah, the podcast is called Listening In. You can go to iTunes and just search on Listening In, and you can download it and listen to it for free every week. Warren Cole
1: Smith, ladies and gentlemen, this guy is Christian media. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm Dr. Chaps. We'll be right back.
0: This is PIJN News, defending your religious freedom. Dr. Chaps will be right back. How is your marriage doing?
1: I want to tell you about an exciting new four-part video DVD Bible study series on God's plan for marriage. In this video series, we team up with marriage and family ministry
3: expert, Vince Dacchioli. There are a lot of things that get in the way of our ability to have a healthy marriage but the way God intended it, he always wanted us to see his view of our relationship together. So everything we do when we talk about marriage or whether we're talking to men or whether we're talking to pastors and leaders, it all centers around this idea of vision. It's very important that we understand who God is and our relationship with him is right in order for us to be able to live out really and truly Ephesians. And
1: that also informs our role as men how to love our wives. We can't really love them unless we understand the love of God.
3: Exactly. So if you just think about love, we tend to think that love is an emotion. It's more uh, something that I feel, whereas the true definition of love, the way Jesus intended it, is is not just an emotion, but it's, it's it's charity. It's what I do. You know, to the degree that I am able to see my wife Or my spouse through his eyes that determines everything in my relationship and we go through the scriptures
1: in four different parts part one is God's design for man and woman part two is godly roles for husband and wife three is sex and intimacy within godly marriage and also God's plan for divorce you want to have this important four-part video series, available for a suggested donation of $30 if you call our toll-free prayer line at 866-ObeyGod. Again, that's 866-O-B-E-Y-G-O-D. Or visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org. You too can have a godly marriage.
0: Empowering you, the grassroots activist. Here is Dr. Chaps.
1: Welcome back, Dr. Chaps at the Western Conservative Summit, and we are joined now by columnist Cal Thomas. So welcome, sir, to the program.
4: Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: So you're here at the Western Conservative Summit. Why did you come all the way out to Denver?
4: I got invited. <laughs> well, that's like a good you. reason. I especially like to be uh, with young people. I spoke to a couple hundred of them uh, at CCU. It's, uh, it's energizing. It's uh, good to know that people who are 16 to 18 are thinking about important things. And about the country that they're going to inherit before long.
1: So, they did have sort of a, a classroom environment for young people to learn your great wisdom. What did you tell them?
4: I don't have great wisdom, but I know people who do. So, basically, I just quote them and they think I'm smart by association. Well, I, I told, among other things, I told my own story about how I became a, a syndicated columnist and a atmosphere that is uh, hostile to people who are followers of jesus and uh, who are hostile to people who are conservative politically and i gave them some tips on that and then i answered questions for about a half an hour managed to get in three or four of my favorite musical comedy songs so uh, being a aficionado of the musical theater that's always a treat
1: are you a song and dance man
4: uh, i'm a song man but not a dance man <laughs>
1: that works for me who are you still writing with and how many people read your column
4: Well, I'm in over 300 newspapers, and I've been doing this for 34 years. Two columns a week, never missed a deadline. Tribune out of Chicago syndicates uh, the column. And what are your favorite
1: topics? This is a religious network, so do you ever write about religious freedom?
4: Yes, occasionally. Uh, I'm I'm always amused that uh, people who are tolerant open-minded pluralistic and pro-academic freedom for everybody except followers of Jesus. Uh, in that case, they become intolerant, bigoted, and uh, and censors. So I've written about that a lot. I wrote a book in uh, 1983 called uh, Book Burning about censorship from the left. Uh, my late friend, Nat Hentoff, said the answer to uh, lang- language and speech you don't like is not less, but more. And I think uh, everybody should be able to bring their ideas into the public square and uh, we prove by doing that whose ideas are best.
1: Well, you've been kind of a pioneer as a Christian voice in the secular media, but do you think increasingly the secular newspapers are becoming hostile to Christian authors such as yourself?
4: Well, I don't know about hostile. I think uh, they, weren't, they haven't been hostile to me. I mean, you have to get to know these people. So many of us are tribal. We, uh, you label people, um, people ask me my denominational background, I say fives, tens, twenties, fifties and hundreds. Because usually <laughs> usually people don't know the definition of the label they want to apply to you. I had a producer once at CNN who asked me, what are you? I said, tall. She said, uh, no, where do you go to church? I said, I am the church. She said, look, wise guy, what do you do on Sunday morning? I said, well, I leave the house, uh, you know, or take a shower first, uh, read the paper. Well, where do you go? I gave her an address. She said, is there a building there? I said, yes. She said, what's the name of the building? I said, what are you getting at? She said, I want to know what you believe. I said, now we can have a conversation. But too many people want to put a label on you, and then they never ask the next question. So I try to get, like the archeologist, down through several, several layers what they're really interested in.
1: They can't put you in a box, and you're a man of thousands of ideas. You've written on so many diverse topics. What's your motivation primarily?
4: What keeps you going? Well, I feel that I'm trying to be a representative in, uh, in the media of, uh, of Jesus of Nazareth, and to share his uh, love and redemptive message with my colleagues uh, in the press. and. Uh, uh, God has given me a tough assignment because uh, a lot of hard-nosed people. But I, I find that building relationships with them and not, uh, uh, not accusing them of things, not labeling them, being their friends, they can deny my faith, but they can't deny my success. And that's how I, I, I come in on their level of success and then share a greater message with them. My wife and I for years have sponsored a media dinner the night before the national prayer breakfast and this year we had our biggest crowd ever uh, about half of them pagans trying to get a little more than that next time and but we've had people in the new york times washington post the broadcast networks actors singers uh... dancers uh, artists and uh, we bring in uh... three speakers who are accomplished in the media and who are who are followers of jesus to share their personal stories you know what's dawning on me
1: as i get to know you is that you may be the first person I've met who is a Christian missionary to the secular media, and you love your neighbor. That's what you do.
4: Yeah, it's amazing. Jesus taught me that, you know. He hung, he hung out with uh, um, uh, with uh, Republicans and sinners, those are the early Democrats. Now, you, 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 know, you have to do with a sense of humor. There's so many of us are judgmental and angry and, and we oppose everything. You know, John 3:17 says that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So I'm not in the condemnation business, I'm trying to be in the uh, uh, affirmation and uh, salvation business.
1: Last question, where can people find your content, Uh, maybe sign up for an email, or what do you want people to know?
4: Well, uh, my columns hopefully will be in your local paper. If not, uh, write the editor and tell them to carry me. Uh, Or you can find everything I write on uh, my website, calthomas.com.
1: Calthomas.com. Thank you, sir, it's an honor to meet you. you. I'm Dr. Chaps, we'll be right back. Dr.
0: Chaps will be right back with more PIJN News.
1: Do you care about defending religious liberty? I know you do. And that's why I'm asking you to take action today. Don't just sit there, but do something. Visit our website, PrayInJesusName.org and sign a petition that we'll fax to Congress on your behalf. In fact, there are three specific petitions I want you to sign to defend military chaplains who are under fire. The first is to support HR 343. This is a bill introduced in Congress by my friend, Congressman Walter Jones of North Carolina, to protect free speech for military chaplains who are sometimes punished if they use the word Jesus in their prayers. Well, if you know my story, you know that I was punished in 2006, uh, even at court martial, because I used the word Jesus in my prayers in uniform in front of the White House. Well, I was later vindicated by Congress who said it's okay for me to do that, but did you know 65 other chaplains are now suing the Navy? I was not the only person. Our second petition I want you to sign is to protect military chapel buildings, which are being desecrated, Christian altars, Catholic or Protestant, are being desecrated by homosexual wedding ceremonies in all 50 states under this order by the Obama Obama administration. Well, that deprives all of our soldiers, sailors, airmen, and marines of a sacred worship space, which ought to be protected, and instead they're gonna punish the chaplain if he won't turn over the keys to his chapel. Here's another petition I want you to sign, and this is to stop threatening court-martial for troops who talk about Jesus. Even recently, the Pentagon is saying, oh, we're gonna threaten you with a crime of proselytizing. No, that's not right. Any soldier ought to be able to talk about his or her faith in Jesus Christ and to have that same religious freedom of speech that we sacrifice to give for others. When you sign these petitions, we will fax them to Congress, and it's free. I want you to take action today. Sign these three important petitions at PrayInJesusName.org, go there today. You know, people ask me, chaps, we're watching on this network, we've already set our DVR to record your shows, but our friends don't have this network, or maybe they can't watch at this time. Did you know we are on demand on 10 different platforms? You can tell your friends to find this show, PIJN News, on their Roku box or their Amazon Firebox. Just look under the religion or news categories. Or maybe you have a smartphone or your friends or grandchildren can find us on Android TV, Google TV, Smart TV, or iTunes. Of course, we're always on the internet. Look for us on YouTube or Facebook or Twitter, or better yet, subscribe to our daily email alerts at PrayInJesusName.org. It's important that you share all of these available platforms with your friends so we can mobilize all of the body of Christ to pray the news and change the world. Would you join us? Visit PrayInJesusName.org to learn more.
0: Defending your religious freedom, here is Dr. Chaps.
1: Welcome back, I'm Dr. Chaps, joined at the Western Conservative Summit by a longtime friend, Roman Bueller with the Madison Coalition. I want to uh, welcome you to the program, sir. Thank you so much, Gordon. Really, I appreciate the opportunity to be on your program. So I met you a couple years ago. I was a state representative, and you were promoting this idea, and I think I endorsed it at the time. You did. Something called the Regulation Freedom Amendment. This is a proposed amendment to the U.S. Constitution?
5: Yes, that's right. Everybody worries about the tyranny of the administrative state, about the fact that presidents have now asserted the right to change laws without the consent of Congress, and we think that major new federal regulations ought to be approved by Congress, not just dictated by bureaucrats.
1: So here's this problem in the runaway bureaucracy, is that there are more bureaucrats than there are congressmen. Absolutely. And the the bureaucrats are unelected, and they're unaccountable, and yet they pass all these rules as if they are king, and they make all these rules and foist them on the American people without the consent of the governed. You have a way to fix that.
5: That's right. You give a bureaucrat a word processor, and we have 90,000 regulations. And we're on track to have 90,000 more if we don't do something, so we think that regulations like laws ought to have the consent of the government and that major new federal regulations ought to be approved by Congress. So we now have 1000 state legislators, a unanimous endorsement from the Republican National Committee, language in the Republican platform, seven governors and former governors including Mike Pence who was the first governor to endorse this. You're getting traction on this idea. That's right. For this regulation freedom amendment which basically says that if major new federal regulations are going to be imposed, Congress has to vote on them.
1: Congress has to vote or the regulations become moot.
5: They don't go into effect. That's right.
1: Now, what happens in the case where, and I've seen this all the time in the State House of Colorado, uh, the legislature passes this law, but they delegate it to the bureaucrats to fill in the details. They actually give away their elected power to somebody who was never elected. Uh, how do you get around that? Well, this amendment
5: would end that practice because if Congress decided that a major federal regulation needed to be reviewed, it couldn't go into effect without a vote of Congress. And so, you know, every Republican in Congress who voted in January voted for a bill called the Reigns Act, which would require that major new federal regulations be approved by Congress. The problem is that the reins act we can't get 60 votes to pass it in the Senate and even if we could the Democrats could repeal it the next time they have a majority in Congress. So we think that a constitutional amendment is better because it permanently protects the country from these
1: unelected bureaucrats. And it would empower uh, maybe 25% of Congress to put the brakes on some runaway bureaucracy or bureaucratic amendment, how does the 25% threshold work? Right. So what the amendment actually
5: says is that if the quarter of the House or a quarter of the Senate consider a regulation important enough to deserve a vote, then that regulation can't go into effect without a majority vote of both the House and the Senate. So whereas the rains act which congress passed sets a hundred million dollar threshold for regulations that have to be reviewed which excludes some regulations for example that might threaten religious freedom or second amendment rights our strategy is that any twenty five percent of the house or senate can say a regulation is major so any significant regulation is subject to the approval of the house and the senate not just a regulation with a big economic impact
1: well that has the effect of empowering people who are in the minority for example when the republicans were in the minority in the Senate you could have got 25 Republican senators to say no on some of the Obamacare regulations absolutely the most
5: important thing about a check and a balance is the check and the balance has to work so the minority can use that check and balance we're not giving the minority the ability to block it we're just giving the minority the ability to demand a vote and the bottom line is if there's a regulation that is going to cost somebody money or take away somebody's property or limit somebody's freedom. Shouldn't members of Congress have the guts to cast a vote on that regulation before it goes into effect?
1: And it forces the senators, or at least it gives a quarter of the senators the power to put the other 75% of the senators on record that they have a recorded vote and they're accountable to the voters, and now we have elected. Representatives making laws instead of unelected bureaucrats, and it gives a, a transparency and accountability come election time.
5: Absolutely right. And what's exciting about this movement is that we are now beginning to build the kind of support that could potentially force Congress to propose this amendment. The 26 state legislative chambers around the country have already passed resolutions urging Congress to propose this specific amendment and our polling shows that voters favor it by a two to one margin so we think as uh, limited government advocates including republicans unite around this idea for curbing the authority of the administrative state voters in the next year or two are going to f- be faced with a very simple question do you want to vote for politicians who think that unelected bureaucrats in washington should make the rules or do you want to vote for politicians that think that elected representatives of the people want to have the final say And we think that that issue is going to unite people on our team and divide progressives, and in fact, what's sad is that the the, the Democratic Party of Franklin Roosevelt and JFK was a party that believed in passing laws. The modern Democratic Party has become the undemocratic party that believes in giving bureaucrats the power, and that's a shame, and frankly, they need to be taught that that is not the path to electoral success, and maybe we can bring them back to the original American idea that laws are passed with the consent of the government, not dictated by bureaucrats in
1: Washington. So although you're proposing an amendment to the Constitution, you're not insisting that it be done through an Article 5 process where the states propose it. You actually think there's enough uh, momentum where Congress should be uh, introducing this amendment to the Constitution.
5: There's a lot of energy around the idea of calling a constitutional convention, but there is also a lot of opposition to that idea. And we think if we're going to get constitutional reform, it has to be with a strategy that unites conservatives. And so we have both supporters and opponents of a convention on our team. And we believe that the same way that states got together and persuaded Congress to propose the Bill of Rights and more recently presidential term limits is the way that advocates of limited government today can unite to force Congress to to enact these kinds of reforms. In fact, if you look at the 27 amendments to the United States Constitution, 12 of them were proposed by Congress because of pressure from the states. And that's the strategy that can unite conservatives. And that's the strategy that can start to take power out of Washington Which we desperately need to do.
1: I think you're onto something with two to one popularity. I think it's only a matter of time until Roman Bueller actually changes the United States Constitution. Our thanks to you. How can people find the Madison Coalition? So our website is regulationfreedom.org. Regulationfreedom.org.
5: They can reach out to us by emailing at leaders at regulationfreedom.org, and I'm going to take a big step. You want to call us, 202-255-5000, 202-255-5000. But
1: regulationfreedom.org is the name to remember. Fantastic. He gave you his phone number. You should give that to your elected officials and tell them about regulation freedom amendment. Thank you, Ramon, for coming on the program. And thank you, Gordon, for giving me the opportunity. All right. I'm Dr. Chaps. We'll see you next time.